Good morning. Cypress Assistant Ministries, better known as CAM, is our ministry spotlight this morning. And it's an awesome ministry that is located off of Huffmeister, uh, just in Cy the Cypress area. And they do some amazing work. They, they specialize, they're a faith-based organization, and they're all about serving individuals and families that are in crisis. Those people that are on the brink of homelessness, the elderly, people that are unemployed. And basically, they offer pe hope. Uh, for a better tomorrow to a, a variety of people. And they do some, just some, some amazing things. And uh, the way they do that is through uh, family assistance, through a job center. They offer classes like ESL classes and uh, to get your GED. You, they also have this place called Angel's Attic, which is a resale center, and that all those things go to help uh, those are in need as well. One of the biggest ways they help out families, though, is uh, through the food pantry. And a lot of you guys have been to the food pantry. It's, it's right off of Huffmeister. It's an old pizza hut is what uh, I believe that that's what it is. And here are some pictures from that. And uh, what uh, happens at the food pantry is uh, the wonderful Miss Margot. Does everybody know Miss Margot? Where is she this morning? There she is, right there. Miss Margot runs the food pantry uh, at, uh, at CAM. And let me tell you a little bit about it. Last year, they fed over 3,000 families. 3,000 families. It's amazing. And when I say, uh, when I say fed, I, I don't mean like here's a, a bag of groceries. They, when they give food to a family, it's two weeks worth of groceries that they're, they're handing out to folks. And so what an awesome uh, ministry, the hands and feet of Jesus there. They specialize, one of their, their groups is a group of seniors, 50 seniors that are, uh, have food delivered to them. And uh, Miss Margaret, I know, has a, a special place in her heart for her seniors. Um, but uh, the food pantry, I have to tell you, I don't know if you saw those pictures, but uh, the food pantry is pretty low right now. Um, there are a lot of shelves that are empty and a, a lot of, uh, just a lot of items that they are desperately in need of. And so this uh, next event we're going to talk about, it, it, it really comes at a great time because November to December, they actually help to feed 1,000 families. So the number is really increasing these next two months. And uh, the Turkey Bowl is an event that we started last year. And it's a little bit about a football, but it's a lot about giving. And uh, what the Turkey Bowl is, is a flag football event plus a donation drive. And uh, you saw the pictures of the very handsome men in the, on the boxes out there. Uh, your life group has been uh, drafted onto a team. There are four different teams. Uh, and you hopefully have a sheet of paper that looks like this. And if you're not on a life group, then uh, you can choose who you want to give to. Uh, now, I just want to pause at that point and say my team lost last year. And uh, I don't know if my pride could take another loss. So uh, please, if you'd like to give to my team, you could do that. Uh, but you give uh, items in the boxes, but you, you know, mainly you can bring those next week as well. Now, on here is a list of items that they're really, really in need of. Those 30-point uh, items, the the milk, the broth, the gravy, all those things. And turkeys are huge as well. Last year, we gave 60 turkeys, 60 turkeys. It filled uh, uh, lots of coolers and got those over here. You're seeing the highlights from the football game. Your, uh, your team gets points uh, for uh, bringing every item in, but they also get points for the, the football as well. Now, last year, for me, the highlight was the, the uh, powder puff game, ladies. Uh, it was an awesome, uh, there's a, I think that's, a, that's Amy Aguilar with a huge vertical there. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so, ladies, 3.30, that's when the uh, powder cuff game. And this year, we're kind of taking the whole day to a next level, okay, because we're going to do a tailgating party. 
So you can come next week, and maybe you want to have clothes ready. We're going to head down to the gym. The Texans game is going to be in the gym. They're playing the Jaguars. That's going to be over early. Uh, and so we'll have plenty of time to, to get some food on the grill out in the parking lot and play a little football. There'll be games that'll start at 1.30 if you want to go home and, and come back. Uh, but really want you to, to stay if you can. 1.30 or, or 2.30 the games will start. Then we'll uh, have the, the, the Powder Puff game at 3.30 and then another set of games at 4.30. But the biggest thing about this whole event is about stocking those shelves. We need to go out and find as many things that we can bring. And there's a lot of deals out there if you're a couponer. Uh, it's just a fun way to get involved. And uh, so if you have any questions about that, you can see me. I'll be uh, in the lobby afterwards. And uh, let's help support Cam uh, by coming out for the Turkey Bowl. Also, the winner, I forgot to say, gets this amazing trophy here. Yes, the Turkey Bowl trophy. That's pure gold there, folks. Uh, Pastor Chad's, it's been in Pastor Chad's office for the whole year. So let's, uh, Team Matt, let's try to get that out of his office and uh, down the hall a little bit. So. We do not uh, equate uh, the United States of America with the kingdom of God, but we do recognize that we have a great uh, blessing to live in this nation and uh, to, uh, to be blessed by God, and he's given us that opportunity and that freedom and that privilege. But there are plenty that have sacrificed to make that uh, a reality. November 11th is Veterans Day, and uh, we want to acknowledge uh, that today. And I wonder if we might have any, any veterans or active military uh, armed service people with us today, if you'd stand with us, with us this morning. Any veterans? Very good. Thank you so much. Let's remember to continue to pray for those that are, that are in our armed services and especially pray for their families and for safe returns, for, for health. Pray for chaplains that serve them in the fields of battle and, and those places. And we thank God for, for his faithfulness to our uh, nation. And let's, uh, let's be sure that we continue to do all that we can to support those that uh, provide for our freedom. We have another ministry opportunity that we want to get a little bit of a head start on uh, this year. We've been doing it for several years. Our church has been a, a faithful supporter of Montrose Street Reach Ministry and their Little Footprints Children's Ministry. That's a ministry to the homeless, especially the young homeless that takes place down in uh, closer to downtown in the Montrose area. And uh, we support uh, Martin and Kim Dale and uh, Preacher Joe. Williams that uh, serve in that area and especially the kids and for a number of years now we've been providing Christmas gifts for the children that are connected to that ministry. The ushers right now have cards uh, that uh, they want to pass out and if you want to sponsor one of these children and uh, provide Christmas gifts for them would you just raise your hand we'll pass all of these out that we have. We'll pass uh, all the ones we have out today. I think we have around 40 names today and we'll have more in the, uh, the upcoming weeks. And uh, when you take this, I want you to look, uh, look at it closely. Um, the top of the card gives you instructions on uh, what needs to be done to provide these gifts. And the bottom portion, the bottom portion is perforated, and we want you to fill that out. And you need to, uh, after you fill it out, you need to tear it off 
and place it in the offering plate later when it goes by. Or if you're really uh, slow at writing, you can hand it in out at uh, the serve table before you leave today. But it's crucial. We'll have more next week, absolutely. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll have more names coming to us. So if you didn't get one, uh, we'll make sure you have that opportunity. But please fill this out. A few minutes from now, the offering plates will be passed, and we want you to hand in that bottom portion. Just does like this. We fill that out and, hand, and put that in the offering plate when it goes by in just a little bit. And uh, God will uh, continue to bless us as we bless others. We do love children, and uh, that's an, a, a huge part of what it means to be a part of uh, this church. And this morning, it's a great privilege for us to, to have uh, Eric and Bethany McDowell uh, bring in their precious little boy for dedication. So we want them to come at this time and their friends and family to gather in behind them here. This is Carson Stewart McDowell, and he's a, he's a fine, fine boy. Take a look there. Good-looking guy. Look at those big blue eyes. My goodness gracious, yeah. What a, what a fine boy he is. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing today, Eric and Bethany, to share this moment with you. And as you've handed him over to me today, that's symbolic of you uh, recognizing that he's a gift from God and of, in a way, handing him back to the Lord and uh, believing God's best for him. This is a, a very important moment for you here today. Uh, you stand before me here today making a statement of dedication as parents. God's given you not only the privilege of having Carson, but uh, also the responsibility to watch over his life carefully, not only protecting him physically, but watching over his associations and leading his mind and his heart to the right things and especially to the Word of God. And uh, we pray that he will early come to know the Lord and his grace and his love in his life and that you will lead him to do that. If, you, if it's your intention to do that this morning, would you say, by the grace of God, we will. And it's our responsibility and our privilege as a church family uh, to come along uh, beside Eric and Bethany and all of these family and friends and give them our support and our love and our prayers. And if you will do that, say, by the grace of God, we will. And now it's my privilege to dedicate you, Carson Stewart McDowell, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you today so much for this precious little boy. And you have given uh, the gift of life to this family and to this child. And uh, Lord, we pray that from this moment forward, there will be an extra special blessing on him. We pray that he will early come to know and understand your grace and your goodness and achieve the purpose that you have for him in his life. We pray that you will give uh, Eric and Bethany wisdom and strength and peace and all that they need for the, the unknown future, but uh, especially for the, the task that you've given them and the awesome blessing and privilege you've given them of having this precious little boy in their lives. And we pray that they will raise him as a son who knows you, the Son of God. And we thank you for this moment and this day and for all the family and friends gathered in support here. And we pray this again, a blessing on Carson in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he did great. He did great. And we have these things for you today to remind you of what took place here today. This New Testament, a certificate of dedication, 
a great uh, CD of lullabies to help uh, for those restless nights, and also this letter uh, to be kept for him to open on his 18th birthday to remind him of this important moment in his life and your intentions. And uh, we bless you and thank you for sharing this with us today. It's been a great uh, experience for me, and I believe for many in this part of the body of Christ, to, uh, to uh, spend 2012 trying to get through uh, uh, all of the Scripture, reading and studying and praying over it. And I know many of you have uh, used one-year Bibles or downloaded reading plans and and uh, taken part in that way, and I've seen, had conversations with people like uh, this morning. Steve Whitney showed me on his phone as he was downloading uh, this morning's scripture on Uversion app on his phone that uh, there was a notice there from Uversion that uh, in this year, 2012, they've gone from one million Bible reading plans downloaded to five million uh, just on that application. Four million more people in 2012 downloading a plan to read through. The Bible, I think that's fantastic. Uh, that's wonderful. I know, I know many of you have participated on some level in that, and uh, I know that God adds uh, His blessing and His uh, knowledge uh, through His Holy Spirit to the, to the study and reading of His Word. And uh, we're winding it down here in 2012. Uh, we've come to the last section of Scripture um, in the book of Revelation, and last week we talked about uh, the Lord being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And uh, today I'm going to have you look at another passage uh, of Scripture with me. In fact, we're going to look at the last passage, the last few words in our Bibles this morning. But uh, before we do that, uh, if you look on your worship folder, if uh, you're interested in taking a few notes, or uh, you can certainly do that here. Uh, on your worship folder and at the bottom of that today it just says a few thoughts on hot topics related to revelation because in my actual sermon preparation i just felt led to to concentrate on just a few verses and particularly the the end of what that book has to say to us but i didn't want to be just a complete coward as a pastor and not look at some of the subjects that are related to revelation and so before i kind of get into a real sermon this morning I'm just going to give you a few thoughts, uh, my thoughts, my opinions based on my study of uh, a, couple of, a couple of the hot topics that come to us through the book of Revelation and other apocalyptic sections um, of the Scripture. Um, the first uh, uh, issue that I'll just give you a few thoughts on is uh, that of the Antichrist, or as he's called in uh, chapter uh, 12, uh, 13 of, the, uh, of Revelation, the beast. In, uh, in Paul's second letter to uh, the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, he's known as the man of lawlessness. Um, just a, a few thoughts of that, about that. In my lifetime, there's been a lot of speculation of possible candidates for the Antichrist. Um, and I'm not trying to make light of this this morning, but it, this, it's just the reality. In my lifetime, I, I can remember a number of people that have been speculated upon as being possible candidates. Uh, I'll show my age on some of this, but like a, a man like Henry Kissinger. I remember when I was, was young that that was being knocked around here and there, that this, this man who was a, a powerful man in our country 
uh, Secretary of State, among other things. Mikhail Gorbachev, the, uh, the leader of uh, the Soviet Union um, a number of years ago, who I think was just in town here in Houston uh, recently uh, to speak. Uh, Saddam Hussein was, was thrown out as, as a candidate for this among some. And, and numerous presidents have been listed as candidates, uh, depending on which way you lean politically, would be, would be, you know, who were, who are those candidates. But if you name a president, just almost any of them in the last 50, 60 years have been speculated upon uh, in that way. There have been candidates uh, for this from different eras, different points of history, not going too far back. Napoleon, the, uh, the self-proclaimed emperor who tried to conquer most of the known world, especially in, in Europe, was, uh, was often thought of as, as perhaps a candidate to be the Antichrist. And certainly Adolf Hitler and all that was accomplished um, in, his, uh, in his era, in his rule, in his reign, was a candidate for this. And believe it or not, numerous popes in world history have been declared to be candidates for this by, by some. None of those have proven to be the one. Proven to be the one that would, that would, would show the characteristics and the power that's described in the Scripture about this, this person. I just want to give you a few things that I see about, about this person in the Scripture in Revelation and in a couple other places like 2 Thessalonians that, that describe him. He described as being somebody who's extremely powerful. Extremely powerful with world dominating power he's also described as um, a miracle worker okay do you hear me a miracle worker somebody performing supernatural miracles like we not unlike some of the miracles that we just see that we see described in scripture performed by God's uh, through God through God's prophets and through Jesus himself a miracle worker Perhaps even raising some from the dead or some interpretations given there. And definitely a blasphemer. And by that I mean somebody who claims to be divine. Who makes a claim to be a god or to be God. And demands worship from people. Now... It's very interesting to note that when we look at the season and the day that Revelation was written, in biblical times when, this, when these things were written, these kinds of claims, like claims to divinity, claims to be God and demanding people under their rule to worship them, that was not an uncommon thing. That's something that happened with the kings of Babylon. That's something that happened with the pharaohs. That's something that happened with a number of the Roman emperors that uh, all demanded worship and called themselves gods, if you will. Roman emperors like Caligula, Domitian, and Nero definitely did this. And when writing the, the book of Revelation, John would have certainly had in his own lifetime in history the incredible persecution that came under the emperor Nero, who... who who authorized and called for the first official persecution of Christians. And you can read the Roman 
you know, not just our history, but you can go back and read Roman history from historians like Tacitus back in that day who described the brutal, brutal treatment, state-sponsored brutal treatment and persecution, torture and killing of Christians. That would have been the immediate background of the first hearers of the book of Revelation, experiencing things that you and I have never experienced. And that kind of, that, from those kinds of figures. So for them to think of an antichrist would be something along the lines of someone like Emperor Nero. We do know this. He is described as being a false prophet. And what the false word comes because he lacks the moral, the moral character. The moral character that God calls us to have. And you might, when you think about this, you think about, well, who could be that evil? Who could be, ever be that evil? And the whole figure of the Antichrist, I think, also should remind us just as human beings. And this is going to, I'm not sure how this is going to be received. But when you think about someone being that evil, just remember this. Any person... Any human being without God, without God, is a scary creature. Okay, I didn't expect that to be, to be received real, real well and exciting. It, 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 it's kind of frightening, isn't it, to think about that? Without God is the key there. Well, enough about that. The second thing I wanted to just give you a few thoughts on is... Uh, the thing that's known as the mark of the beast. It's described there in that same middle section of, of Revelation. Um, the mark of the beast. Are we talking here about a physical mark? Well, um, there were things like that back in the ancient world. Ptolemy IV, one of the, the rulers of Egypt, branded Jews. Branded Jews. Put a brand like you put on, on a cow with a hot iron, branded Jews with an ivy leaf to mark them so that everyone would know who they were. So a physical mark coming from an evil ruler, that was some, something in the context of the day that they would have, would have understood. But there's so much um, in Revelation and other writing like this that is symbolic. In fact, most of the language we read in this is symbolic and figurative. So to, to take this symbolic and figurative language and then try to put it on something concrete is probably not what the author had in mind. And even numbers like the number 666 and how that's associated with this. One thing we need to know, the, in ancient times, people were very adept at, at symbolic use of numbers. In fact, numbers often represented uh, people's names and were used in that way. You know, in, in my lifetime, uh, especially when I was, was younger, there was a, a, a period there, a, a hot period of biblical prophecy when it was out in front of everybody and there was all kinds of speculations about not only about the Antichrist but about the mark of the beast. And I can remember my lifetime different things being talked about as being the mark of the beast, literally like certain tattoos. Maybe that's what it was going to be or... I remember when, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when they first started using barcodes to scan things. And somehow that was tied in, possibly, to the end times and, 
and the mark of things. And then as technology advanced, they started talking about, know what it's going to be. It's going to be a plant, an implanted chip, implanted chip in your hand or in your forehead. Again, why we would kind of take this symbolic language and try to figure out some literal interpretation to me that's kind of confusing the issue and really these these things that and there are people that today and I, I do not mean to scoff at or or belittle but I'm just not drawn when I read the book of Revelation I am not drawn to trying to take all of these symbols and trying to pick them apart and trying to figure out exactly what that means for 2012. Since this writing has been with us for 2,000 years. And maybe people in every generation have tried to do that. And tried to figure out, well, it means this. And it means that. And it represents this person or that country. Or it looks like this. I think when we fixate on these things outside of the biblical context, we kind of get off track. And I just want to say, to you, say this to you about the book of Revelation. It's a whole lot less about end-time events and persons and things that we would be curious about. And it's a whole lot more about the warning of compromise in our walk with God, in our relationship with Him. And it's, it's a warning to not compromise, and it's an encouragement to live faithfully with God leading to eternity. So enough of, of kind of those thoughts and opinions, and I want to take us to the last words um, of the Bible. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, who I, I love to listen to him, and there's just something about his voice and the way he can tell a story. He tells a story about when he was a 10-year-old boy. He said one of his most uh, unforgettable moments uh, happened. His uh, father who had served during World War II and uh, who had been a person after that who was involved in the industry of building all kinds of uh, equipment for, for, uh, for planes and tanks and all of those kinds of things, worked uh, very long and very hard. And uh, when uh, Chuck was about 10 years old, his dad suffered a, a real physical breakdown. And after that, kind of an emotional trauma that that came into his life and it puzzled everyone including the doctors and he said he was convinced in his heart at 10 years old that his dad was about to die and he said uh, it, it seemed that his dad may have had those same kind of thoughts and so one night he called Chuck into his room for a real somber sober father-son talk and he, Chuck said I remember leaning against his bed listening carefully to to my dad's voice that was so weak it was just barely above a whisper and he said in my mind I thought I was hearing him speak for the very last time and as he spoke to me that night he gave me counsel on my life and talked to me about how I should live how I should conduct myself and uh, how important things were and he said when I left his room I went across the hall to to my room and I shared what had just happened with my older brother and then he said I just lay across my bed and sobbed and cried and I was convinced that I was never going to hear my dad speak again he said that scene still um, still haunts me even though my dad recovered 
physically and lived many more years. He said, I still remember that night and the way he talked to me. And he said, it's just an illustration of how significant something is when it seems to be final. When you think about that, you think about maybe, maybe you've had an experience like that with a loved one where there were some last words and you recognized and saw that it seemed to be last words. Jesus had some very significant last words in a sense when he gathered his disciples together for that thing that we call the Last Supper and he spoke to them about what was ahead for them and what was ahead for, for him and how important things were for And it was something that was meant to carry them through the rest of their days. With that thought in mind, I want us to take just a few minutes to look at the last words of the Bible. Would you look at Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse uh, 17 with me? It says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come, and let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. And then in verses 18 and 19, he he gives these words that might be confusing, but it's really just a standard sort of claim from inspired writing in in that era of time with, with this principle that, this, this is true, this is what I've said, it's been inspired, don't add to it, don't take away from it. And it's a principle that applies really to the rest of Scripture. The, the Scripture is the standard for measuring any other claims. It's not that we believe that God doesn't still speak today or hasn't spoken since these words were, were written down. We believe God still speaks. He still does new things. He still speaks to us. And he still inspires people. But what we do believe is this, and you've heard me say this many times over the years. What God speaks to us today through His Spirit will not contradict what He's already spoken through this. It's going to be in harmony with this. And so if you're looking at a source of authority, spiritual authority in your life, and it's anything that contradicts this or holds itself to be equal in, in writing outside of this, you're looking at something that goes outside of the claims of Scripture, and there's that warning there not to do that. Let's move on. Verse, verse, uh, verse 19, verse 20. He who is fa- the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. The last words of the Bible contain, first of all, an invitation. An invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. And let anyone who is thirsty come. Let them drink from the water of life. There's an invitation in the last words of the Bible to all who will receive and share to do so in the eternal life that only comes from God. That open invitation. Take note of that. After all the fantastical stuff that's gone on in this book and all the things that we speculate about and all this incredible imagery, there's just this simple invitation. Let him who's thirsty come. An invitation to eternal life. And then there's this declaration 
This very strong declaration in verse 20. A declaration that comes from Jesus that says, I am coming soon. And I say that this morning, and it just hits this room like, soon. Didn't you say this was written 2,000 years ago? So what's soon? What does soon mean? Well, Jesus says this three times in this last chapter. Three times in the last chapter of Scripture, we see the words, Jesus saying, I am coming soon. And I want you to know that the early church that was reading this had an expectation that Jesus was going to come soon. Very soon. Say, well, how soon is soon? Well, it's soon enough. That's how I think the Lord answers us. Soon enough. The one who exists before and after and outside of time, and we can't comprehend that, says, I'm coming soon. Just a little perspective uh, that we need to be reminded of. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter reminds us of this. He says this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise. The promise is, I'm coming soon. The Lord isn't being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. We believe in the imminent, big word meaning soon. We believe in the soon return of Jesus Christ and also that that could take place at any moment. Enough's already happened. Enough prophecies have been fulfilled. Enough things have gone on that are described in Scripture to say that Jesus could return at any moment. Now, when I say that to you, I, I'm just asking you, what kind of feelings does that generate? What kind of feelings does that generate? Does that bring, if I say Jesus could return today, does that bring excitement to you? Does it bring any panic? Any sense of panic to, to you, if I tell you that? I'm afraid what it does to so many of us is our feelings are whatever. Indifference. If our response and our feeling when we understand and, and hear Jesus saying, I am coming soon, if our response is anything less than excitement... Just maybe, maybe that means we're just a little too attached to this world 
and its values. You say, hey, but Pastor Jeffrey, calm down. He said, you know, I've got a bucket list of things that I want to accomplish, things that I want to do in this life. And I imagine if you gave me that bucket list, I would, I would imagine most of them would be really cool things. None of them bad things. In fact, there might be a lot of things on your bucket list that I would look at them and say, hey, that looks like that'd be a great blessing from God if you got to do that. And for now, I, I hope you get the chance. But the question is this. Should there be anything, anything we desire more than being complete in eternity with Jesus? Is there anything that we ought to desire more than wanting to be in His presence fully and completely in eternity? Believing in Jesus' soon return demands a level of readiness. And I'm not sure that our readiness is all it can be if there's not a sense of anticipation and even excitement. You see, that's what the response of the early church was. Their response in these last words of the Bible, the response to Jesus' declaration, I am coming soon, was, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen, meaning, may it be so. May you come soon. We want you to come soon. Come on. When I was a kid, my grandparents had uh, an eight-track tape. Um, I know a lot of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't even know if I want to try to get into explaining that. It's about the size of a paperback book, and you stuck it into a hole in the dash of your car anyway. Um, they had an eight-track tape of, of, of a singer um, named Tennessee Ernie Ford. And he had this, this deep uh, baritone voice and, and real smooth. And uh, the, the tape they had of him was this inspirational gospel songs. And, and there was a song that just stuck in my head from the time I heard it when I was about eight years old, riding around in their car, that, that he would sing the line, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus would pray. And then he would sing this word, and I had no idea what the word was, the word Maranatha, which is really the combination of two Aramaic words, the common language that Jesus and people in his region spoke, Aramaic, which Maranatha means come, O Lord. And so this statement, come, Lord Jesus, come, O Lord, in the early church, that was a statement that pretty much every time they would gather together for worship or fellowship or eating or whatever they would do, one of the things they would say would be, come, Lord Jesus. And they didn't just mean, Lord, uh, come and bless this event we're having. They were saying, come back. Come. That last and final time in your power and glory, come back to us return a recognition of Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords and their desire for him to come and reign and rule finally 
and completely. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm not sure that all of us would feel real comfortable praying that prayer. But if you think about the context of most of the readers of this, of this book, when John gave it to those, those seven churches, and then the other Christians that it would be passed around to, many, if not most of, of them, would have been suffering Christians, persecuted Christians, suffering and remaining faithful and longing for Jesus' return. And as I say that this morning, here's something that I think is really important for us to understand about the book of Revelation and what it says to us, and about, especially about this desire for Christ to return and what may even hold that higher, is suffering for Christ. And I want to just remind you today that as we sit here comfortably this morning and having just come through a free election where after the election was over there may have been a lot of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth but there were no riots in the streets with people shooting guns and one side killing the other and nobody preventing us from being here this morning and for the most part nobody preventing you from doing most of what you want to do with your life. There are people all around the world today that are risking everything. Thousands and millions of people risking everything they have, their life, their family, all their possessions, everything to declare and live their faith for Jesus Christ. And what we have in our interpretations and our views of a whole lot of things, and especially things like the book of Revelation and all of its prophecies and all of that, is a very Americanized view of it. When there are people today going through tribulation and trial that just can't get any greater. They've declared their faith in Jesus Christ, and so they've been cut off from jobs, from families, from just basic existence. There are people that if it's, becomes, if it's made, if the authorities are made aware of them gathering to worship or put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be put into prison camps or perhaps killed and their families are going to suffer consequences and maybe neighbors and anything. That, that's going on right now for thousands if not millions of people suffering. I wonder if more of them are not saying in response to Jesus saying, I am coming soon, if more of them would not heartily say, come Lord Jesus. And it's not because they're cowards. It's because they're living faithful, devoted lives and they found that the source of all life for them is Christ. We have a very Americanized view of the end times and of persecution, I fear. We think persecution is if we get made fun of on Saturday Night Live. As we continue to drift as a nation, 
it may bring about results that um, I don't know in our lifetimes, but maybe in the, the lives of the generations that follow us. That persecution could come here. That's speculation on my part. But I do know this. In other places around the world today, there are, there are people like Ranjit in an Asian country who at one time was an assassin for a group of terrorists who was converted through the witness of a, of a pastor a persecuted pastor. And when Ranjit came to faith in Christ and his life was changed and he began to experience that and began to pull away from all the old things of his, his former life, the terrorist group of which he had been a part demanded that he come back to them and participate fully in his old life and when he refused to do that they came to the pastor's home where he was staying and they demanded that he be brought out and the pastor said no way take me instead but rather than allow that to happen Ranjit surrendered himself and came out and handed himself over and as he was being beaten to death by those terrorists he said tell my pastor that I died a believer. Suffering Christians, suffering Christians long in faithfulness for the return of Jesus. But it's uncomfortable, I fear, for most of us to pray and mean, come, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Come today. And if it's uncomfortable, maybe it's because we're too comfortable with the present order of things. And the prospects of Jesus' return, they bring it brings anxiety. I can remember in, in my childhood, a lot of the things that I, you know, I was taught probably even more fervently than then uh, we're teaching our children that Jesus was coming soon. And the prospects of that, I can remember as a child, bringing anxiety to me. There was a lot of things I wanted to do, a lot of things I wanted to accomplish. I remember seeing this old movie that I'm not sure it was too accurate a portrayal of, of the Scripture called A Thief in the Night. And it was about the rapture coming and you know uh, people disappearing and being gone. And I remember seeing that, and it didn't do a whole lot to edify me spiritually. Mostly what it did was just scare me to death. And I can remember any time, at any time, if I was all of a sudden all alone and couldn't find anybody, I was in a desperate way thinking the Lord has come back and I've been left. And I went, would immediately go on a diligent search to find my mother. Because if anybody was going to make it, my mother was going to make it to heaven. The question is this, in the last words of the Bible... Are we ready? And are we waiting? Hoping? Looking for? Does my heart have things in order for that to be the case? And the revelation is there for us to have the realization that any other longing or desire that we would have in our hearts, anything you really want, or desire 
and the fulfillment of that, it's just a shadow. Just a shadow. Compared to knowing and experiencing the love of God forever. The Lord says, I am coming soon. The response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then there's the last verse of the Bible. And we'll wrap this up and sing a song in response. The last verse of the Bible. To me, this is a really cool thing. The last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, is just this simple conclusion that says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. You know, the Bible, the Bible is an amazing book. Well, actually, it's really an amazing collection of books. Inspired and by and brought together and guided by the Holy Spirit to, to bring this collection of books together for our, for our life direction and for the glory of God. And it's full of incredible stories, all kinds of characters. The Bible reveals, reveals to us our des- desperate need for God. And it also reveals to us His desperate love for us. Scripture like Isaiah 53, 6 comes to mind when, when, it, when, it says, when it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Desperate need, desperate love. Bible's full of that. It's got all kinds of astounding miracles. You think about all the in, unbelievable miracles from the, from the first of creation to, to all the way through to, the, to Jesus healing and all of those kinds of things and all the raw stories in the Bible. If you've been reading through the Bible and you read through the Old Testament, some days you're going, wow, are you serious? All the raw stories, all the sin all the tragedy, all the amazing stories of forgiveness, all the astute wisdom that's there, the comfort, the strength, the parables that show us what life is like. All the, all, and in this final book, all the fantastical scenes of heaven and hell and earth, new heaven, new earth, and all the incomprehensible imagery of, of Almighty God. With all of that, to me, it's interesting how the Bible closes and that the final word of the Bible to us is grace. The unearned, undeserved love of God, God's grace, which is the only thing that can keep us the only thing that can make it possible for us to know him and share eternity with him and that grace has found me and so many of you 
And if it captures our hearts, then we really ought to be able to say, come, Jesus, come. Lord, I thank you today for your words. Your words so powerful, Lord, and so strong. And when we open up our hearts to it, it resonates with such strength and conviction that, that surpasses anything else we can find. So I pray today, Lord, that uh, we would be people of faith, people of readiness, people of grace, people that trust in you and look to you in all things. And Lord, most of us today aren't suffering for our faith in you. We may have minor moments when it causes a, an issue here and there, but for the most part, we find things to be pretty comfortable. But in that comfort, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us, awaken us anew to the, the incredible, incredible story, incredible power that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. The price you, you, uh, you gave for us, the love that you continue to show us, and that you are, as you said, preparing a place for us. And Lord, you linger today because of your great love and grace and your desire for more to repent and to know you. So I pray, Lord, today that we would hold on to your promise. We would be faithful in worshiping you and honoring you and preparing each day to, to spend eternity with you. And we would want all that we know, all the people that we know and love, to share in the same. We pray today, Lord, for those that are suffering and being persecuted around the world, even Nazarenes today that face dire consequences for their devotion to you. We pray that you'll keep them strong and faithful. And I pray today, Lord, that you will awaken us to the joy and the power of living for you and anticipating being complete in you in eternity. And I pray this for your people. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all.